Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today we have a guest on with us, Samuel Say. We've been waiting patiently to record with him here for a while now, and we're super excited to share his insights with you. But first, I just wanted to touch back on the last couple episodes we did on Shanghai. It's not over, and I think that we have this uh, tendency in North America to see an issue, be in shock and all of it, you know, just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening, and then move on, you know? And I think it's important for us not to dwell on things to a point that we uh, bear the weight of it on our shoulders and feel like it's our responsibility to change it and all of that, but we need to understand these issues. We need to do more than just you know, put a face to it and then move on. We need to really think about these topics. And Elizabeth had messaged me yesterday. I had shared uh, some of the episode with Mason and tagged him. And Elizabeth messaged me, and I'll just read you what she uh, sent. She said, I'd share too, but Mason is worried about his safety here, so I'll just let you share. And she said, Chinese are following us, and Mason is worried about backlash here. Safer for you to share than me or Mason. And I just want you to think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. Have you, as an American or Canadian, or wherever you're listening from, you know, if you're listening from somewhere else, maybe you can relate to this. But I have never felt that I was actually in, you know, a point where my safety was threatened because of something I shared on so- social media. My job, yeah, but not my actual safety. So Crazy. just think about that a little bit. Um, these people that are sharing are really putting their neck on the line. You know, mm-hmm. they're really putting themselves out there. And Elizabeth actually shared today that a blogger was arrested. A blogger just doing comedy about, you know, she was doing comedy about not being able to say certain things on social media, you know, just kind of a spoof, and she was arrested. It's insane. It is. It is. So I just wanted to highlight that really quick and just make sure we're not forgetting and make sure Mm -hmm. we're taking some time to really understand how serious this is And then relate it back to the things happening here. Understand what's happening here and understand that the time to stop something is not late in the game. It's not Mm -hmm. when the police are knocking on your door to arrest you because of something you've said. It's now. We we stand for freedom of speech now early. So Yeah. And also we pray. Like we pray for these people that are living in these parts of the world where things are just – Like we can complain a lot about the U.S. and about Canada and a lot of it is justified. And I'm not saying that uh, because things are worse in other places that we have to be, you know, perfectly content with the way things are here. That's not it at all. But I think we also just need to keep in mind, like these are real people, real Mm -hmm. people created by God who are suffering in China, in Ukraine, in all these parts in the Middle East, like there's people all over the world who are truly suffering and like two things. One, we care about them because they're human. And two, we take it as a warning and yes, at three, we do what we can to like shed light on what's happening so that hopefully, hopefully things might change. And, you know, and if not, we're at least praying, praying yeah. that things will. Yeah. And that just brings something else to, that has been on my mind lately that I haven't said out loud, but 
Elizabeth also talked about the other day, you know, how people, and she talked about on our podcast, how people will say, why don't you just leave, you know, and they Mm -hmm. are trying to leave and Mason is as well. But here's the thing, you know, our standing is doing something for them because where Mm -hmm. do they have to go if everywhere is like China? Exactly. So there is purpose in our standing beyond ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this brings, I'm not going to talk about this long because we've talked about it so many times on the podcast, but even something as simple as the mask or vaccine thing, like, why are you complaining about vaccine passports? It could be so much worse. Look at what's going on in this country. Yes. Well, like Rita said, if we don't stand now, we're going to turn into those places. And then there's nowhere that's going to be a refuge for people that are truly suffering. Yes. Amen. All right, guys, let's get into this interview with Samuel. Before we start, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about him for those of you who may not be familiar. So Samuel is committed to addressing racial, cultural, and political issues with biblical biblical theology and an attempt to be quick to listen and slow to speak. He publishes on his blog, slowtowrite.com, and he's also been featured on The Daily Wire, TheBlaze.com. He's been on Relatable with Ali Bestucki and the Alyssa Childers podcast, So, and many other places. But anyway, he writes and he always attempts to um, be slow to speak, slow to write, and uh, root everything back to his Christian worldview. That's amazing. So, Samuel, I'm just curious, what is it that you miss about Canadians? Oh, wow. That's a a good question. I, you know, (laughs) it's funny. It's funny asking that because I I catch myself a lot when I say this. But I think when I say I miss Canadians, I think I mean I miss Torontonians. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I'm sure you know this being out west. Mm -hmm. uh, People from Toronto, we think we are. We think Canada just exists in Canada. Uh, <laughs> no, the same way. I mean, in Toronto, the same way that maybe I'm sure maybe Rita may be familiar with. It's less so in the U.S., but people in the cities t- tend to think that America just exists in the cities and nothing else, not Middle America and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's you know. Um, so I definitely miss that. I just miss Toronto. I miss Ontario. But I think also just miss. Canadians in terms of just the way we talk, uh, even a little our sense of humor, which mm-hmm. is different than Americans. Um, I miss talking about Canadian things like hockey. I, I, I love hockey. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, or even just um, the, you know, I, I miss <laughs> I miss the kind of depressed bitterness that real conservatives <laughs> have over uh, what's happening in our in our nations, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's things like that, um, you know, that I, I, I miss. Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, I ended up hitting record because I wanted everyone to hear how much you actually <laughs> do miss Canada. <laughs> As a Canadian, I just couldn't let that opportunity pass by. <laughs> but anyway, so Samuel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like you're obviously a fairly well-known blogger at Slow to Write. You were originally in Toronto and now you've moved to the States. Um, for people that don't know you, I'm sure they'd love to hear that story and just hear a little bit about you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was originally born in Ghana, uh, which is in West Africa, the best country in West Africa, but I'm not biased mm-hmm. at all. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I was born and raised there till I was 10 years old. And then I moved to Canada, originally Montreal, Canada, and then 
two, three years later, after I emigrated to Canada, we moved to Toronto. My fam, my mom and myself and my little siblings. Um, so yeah, I was raised in a Christian household. My mom is a, is a believer, um, raised by uh, her, um, her alone, my, you know, through a single mother. And, um, you know, she raised me in the church. Um, I rarely missed um, a, uh, a Sunday, a Sunday morning at church. Um, even if I felt like I was dying, she would take me to church because it's better to die in the church. Um, right. <laughs> um, so, Amazing. Um, and then, um, yeah, but I was not a believer till I was uh, 19 years old when um, I, I would go to church because it was my mom's church. I, I believed in, I believe the Bible was, you know, was, um, was the word of God, but I didn't really know what was in the Bible. I didn't really care. Um, so when, you know, in summer, in summer of 06, I'm dating myself now, but I'm 34 mm-hmm. at the time I was 19. Mm-hmm. And, um, someone in my church who's not a very good friend of mine, um, would every, every Sunday they would come to me saying, Sam, please come to this young adult's meeting the young adults retreat that they had. And I would say, please leave me alone. I have no interest in this, but she bugged me for weeks until finally just out of irritation, like, you know what? Fine. I'll go to your stupid young adults retreat. Just leave me alone. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't know that at the time that it was really the Holy spirit working through her to bring me uh, to himself because I went on this young adults retreat and apparently something good does happen at young adults retreat sometimes besides just dating and marriage. Um, (laughs) I heard the gospel that I had heard all my life, but this time it finally just clicked. Uh, I was born again. I can't explain it. I don't know where it came from. All I just know is God had mercy on me and um, I believed. And then from then on, it was no longer my mom's faith. It was my own faith. Uh, I believed uh, not just because I, 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 in the past I knew the Bible um, was was true. I, I knew about God, but now I finally knew God and I believed mm son jesus christ so it's like an important distinction like knowing that he's there but then knowing him in the sense of having this personal relationship and i really love your story i know you have more but just at this point you know like so many people that grow up in a christian home with christian parents or even go to christian school or go to church all their lives they think you know i've heard all of the gospel i've heard everything that's in the bible it doesn't matter you can't tell me anything new. I know it all. It doesn't matter. But just to hear like, you know, the Holy Spirit works in his own timing. And that's just really cool how he used the same stuff that you already knew, but it drew you to him in a new way. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And mm-hmm. um, I had heard all of this before. I used the same, I had been bored by that same sermon many, many times, but finally it was no longer boring. I remember it. The words Christ died for sinners just hit Mm -hmm. me like a brick. I'm like, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Uh, And before I knew that, but now I'm like, I know I'm a sinner. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I was rescued um, that day. And, and I remember that night um, I, I, um, yeah, I I just remember thinking that my life is meaningless unless I live for Christ. Um, Amen. And that's how I knew for sure that I was a different person because I'm like that's that's not something that I would say or think at all before that. So, um, so yeah, and then I started um, you know developing a passion for theology. Um, I, I mean, I'll say this: I I was 
I'm, I was very different from what I am now, where I did not read a book at all. In fact, I didn't read a book. Mm. I, I didn't finish a book until I became a Christian. Um, I was a terrible student. I hated reading and writing, which is ironic now. Wow. Um, <laughs> I, I had no desire for anything um, intellectual. So I, I mentioned that because um, I, I remember when I went to the Young Adults Retreat, people kept mentioning, who's, you know, mentioning uh, the Apostle Paul. I'm like, who is this Paul guy everyone keeps you know, mentioning? I had no idea. Though I had grown up in a church all my life, I didn't even know who Paul was. I'm sure I heard his name before. I just didn't care enough to, to uh, know who, uh, who he is. But anyway, that made me really want to read the Bible. So I started reading the Bible. Then that led to a passion for history and, and philosophy, theology, his, um, um, politics, culture. And then eventually I became um, a blogger now at slowtowrite.com. And um, yeah, I'm uh, privileged to be speaking to you. And you mentioned also about why I've moved to um, Ohio um, now. Um, actually, through my blog, uh, I mean, my blog has given me now a career and a wife. So I'm very mm-hmm. grateful. Um, I met my, you know, I wrote an article. Um, it's ironic now, but I wrote an article about uh, my fear of marriage. And um, I, and just context, fear of marriage based on, um, growing up without, without a father in the home, and I was I was afraid that I, I would not know um, what it means to be a good husband or a good father. And I wrote that article thinking that, yeah, well, if I was already struggling to find a wife, this would definitely seal, seal it for me. I'm not going to find anyone whatsoever. Uh, but God's wisdom is better than mine because my now wife stumbled on that article and commented on it. And her and I started to get to know each other through that article. We became friends. And then eventually we became a couple. And uh, we had a lot of um, challenges because she's in Ohio. And I, at the time I was in, I was in Toronto. But uh, by the grace of God, uh, finally I proposed to her last year. And uh, we just got married three weeks ago. And it's going uh, very well. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing uh, being finally uh, being able to do life with her. So, um, yeah. Very cool. Congratulations. It's really cool. Thank you. So great. And good for you guys for persevering. Um, <laughs> cause I know it was a very challenging time in world history really to be separated from, uh, your significant other being in a different country that mm-hmm. must not have been very easy for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was hard. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, I look back, I mean, her, just a couple of days ago, her and I, we just stopped and we just looked at each other and we're like, man, we're doing life together. We're mm-hmm. married. Like, you're right here because we know how hard it's been where we were dating on the phone. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've spent more time talking to her on the phone um, than I have doing anything else and be able to spend time with her. So um, it's it's amazing. And um, of course, marriage is always a beautiful thing, but for us, it's not just that we're married, it's that we're actually just in the same country, in the same space as each other. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're very grateful for that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, um, Samuel, so I started following you on social media and I enjoy the things that you write and post there. But whenever I click on your blog and read it long form, it's just mm-hmm. so good. You are so good at putting words on paper for us to read and understand um, just kind of some of these bigger cultural issues. And I think, you know, you started talking about your faith and growing in your faith. And um, 
how then you eventually were led to um, a love for history and philosophy and understanding cultural issues. And really those things all uh, go together. And initially when we were going to have you on the podcast a while ago, we had initially just wanted to talk to you about uh, critical race theory. That was our intention. And then in the last couple of weeks with the Supreme Court ruling leak and all of that, the abortion topic has really taken front seat. And I was thinking today, you know, I was in the garden. It's 90 degrees here today. It's super hot. It's probably similar where you're at, Samuel, because you're not that far from me, really. But um, anyway, I was in the garden and digging and sweating, and I had a lot of time to think. And I was just thinking about, um, really, CRT and abortion are not separate issues. Mm -hmm. There's some common ground if you're looking at it from a perspective of someone who disagrees with those things. Um, But from the perspective of someone who is a CRT supporter, someone who holds, you know, the idea that racism is this issue and it's involved with legal institutions and in the United States. And it's, you know, somebody who supports CRT, that's what they think. They think it's maintaining um, social, political, um, social and economic, uh, I guess, justice between whites and African-Americans specifically. But anyway, when you look at that and you look at CRT from a perspective of somebody who agrees with it, there are some, uh, I guess, polarizing um it it's a a polar opposite i guess from abortion because if you look at how abortion started abortion started with you know um, eugenics and margaret sanger and planned parenthood and all of that and so if you're somebody who believes in crt because most people that do believe in crt also are on the side of abortion is a right i just find that those two things often go together and if you look at that, they, te- they tend to come from an opposite angle, right? If you understand the origins of abortion. Yeah, no, it's, um, that's a Sorry. connection. It took me forever to get that out, and I apologize. <laughs> no, <laughs> there were some things going on in the background, and I'm like, I cannot think right now. No, no, that, that was great. I, I completely understand you. In fact, as you were speaking, I was smiling, not because the issue of critical race theory or abortion is something to smile about. But I was smiling because it's a connection that a lot of people, I think, have not been able to mm-hmm. uh, address. Um, and uh, not to—I don't know when this is our, this is coming out the podcast, and I'm not trying to—you know—I'm not trying to promote my uh, blog, but I'm actually planning on addressing that a little bit in an article uh, probably uh, this week. Um, well, that's perfect timing. This will come out on Monday next week oh, for, or okay. Sunday night. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great then, um, because. There are so many connections between abortion and critical race theory, not just because of the racist aspect of abortion, uh, as you mentioned, Margaret Sanger and eugenics and Planned Parenthood, um, not just with the social Darwinism aspect, um, but even in a word that is so crucial in critical race theory that I'm sure many people are familiar with now. It's, it's an old word, but, it, no, but it's been rebranded. To, to, for a different meaning um, for critical race theories. And this word, of course, is uh, equity. And mm-hmm. one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is at its very core, critical race theory is basically just the idea of racial equity, the idea that we need to, um, we need to discriminate against one group of people, namely white people, in order to help, um, in order to help black people. That way then you have an, there's an equal balance um, you know, between which again, which is what equity means, right? In their minds, equity basically means equality of outcome. So, 
um, in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which again, I think the better, I think the better word for that is how to be, or the better title for uh, his book is uh, How to Be a Racist. Mm. Uh, it's a book <laughs> by uh, Ibram Kendi, where he says um, something along the lines of um, um, to be truly anti-racist um, is to support discrimination against white people to uh, help black people. This is, I mean, I, um, if you read his book, he says it several times. And I mentioned that because abortion is very, very similar. Part, part yeah. of the argument, a very core argument for abortion is basically that, um, and it is from the feminist perspective, that if women do not have the right to kill a baby, then they will not be able to have equal footing as mm-hmm. men. Because the idea is, well, because men don't, do not get to have, cannot carry a baby, which is a blessing, not a burden, but um, in terms of for women. But because men are not able to have babies, that's why they're able to um, you know, work more, have more income, have more opportunities, and not having to worry about a baby disrupting that, their career plans. So a lot of women say, well, if they, get, if they have the right to get an abortion, then they can essentially live like men where they don't have to be restrained by, uh, in their minds anyways, by a baby. Well, that's really about equity. That's them saying, basically, if we get the right to harm or discriminate against a baby or another person, then we will have equity um, um, in a similar similar uh, way as, um, as men. And that's the connection that I think a lot of people are not familiar with, that a lot of this stuff is just a drive for a, an evil kind of so-called um, equality, but again, that's what is equality of outcome, which of course the Bible is against. Okay, mm-hmm. wow, that was really good. Yeah, <laughs> and like Rita and I were talking a little bit before this, and she had sent me Bill S nineteen seventy one nine seven five. I don't know the proper way of saying these things, and also um, an article with talking about these issues, and basically Samuel, exactly what you said, like yeah. abortion is because women need that equity and that if they don't have access to abortions, they're never going to have that equal foothold economically, essentially. And so it's very interesting because when we look at it, like with a Christian worldview, those aren't the priorities in our life, right? And I was trying to think of how to explain it well, but so basically having a child is considering is considered suffering for some women because they weren't wanting this child, right? But removing the cause of suffering, in this case, a child, does not necessarily mean that the removal of that cause is moral. And, you know, from a Christian worldview, so so often it's our challenges that actually refine us the most, right? Like Romans 5.3 starts by saying, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Mm-hmm. So it's just this completely different worldview, essentially. Like Christian worldview is like, we don't necessarily enjoy suffering, but we know that it produces so much more. Whereas from the world, well, the standard of success is economic, essentially, and what it looks like on the surface. So I guess that's where I think the biggest um, misunderstanding is happening between these two worldviews is what does it mean to have a successful life? Like a Christian looks at that completely Mm -hmm. different than the world does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think we, um, at the heart of what you're saying too is we also recognize that that suffering. Now, again, I'm a, I'm a man and I will never know what, well, those, you know, uh, some queer theorists might disagree with me, but <laughs> as a man, I will never know uh, what it's like, of course, to mm-hmm. have a baby. Um, but I can imagine that, of course, uh, not just having a baby, but being, a, you know, but then being a mom comes with suffering uh, in yeah. many ways. It comes with challenges, and yet that suffering comes with a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a blessing with every blessing. There's suffering. Look, I just mentioned earlier about how I've been blessed with a great wife. Well, I already know that that will come with some challenges. That will come with some suffering. Not because it's a blessing. It just means now that it requires every blessing comes comes with a, um, um, a new uh, responsibility or every new role is a new responsibility. And that is true uh, when it comes to children. But unfortunately, not just that we have an increasingly godless culture where we are opposed to the things of God, but even in terms of, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is privilege, whether it's white privilege or male privilege and things like that. I don't think a lot of us, especially in the West, realize why we, we love abortion so much. Um, now, of course, I have the three of us, I'm referring to our culture. Our culture loves abortion so much, I think, because we have lost the, um, we have lost what it means to be responsible. Uh, because we're so privileged now that we think that the idea of being responsible and being, being able to persevere in suffering is unthinkable. But that's because in many ways we don't suffer as as, uh, as much as other people. Um, I'm I'm from a nation, uh, Ghana, where suffering is very common, and the idea of being able to suffer the challenges of of um, of motherhood is considered a blessing. Of course, it's difficult, but it's considered a blessing there where. In, our, in, in, in the West, in Canada or America, too often a lot of young uh, children, including men, uh, including uh, boys and girls, are, are, are uh, taught to believe that any kind of suffering is, um, is, uh, is a bad thing instead of a, a blessing from God at times. Yeah, actually, Rita had brought up a really good point. When we were talking earlier, I had kind of explained that whole, like, essentially our culture wants to erase any suffering, even if there's a blessing attached to it. Right. And she had brought up the, the very good point that it was very much like the book, the giver. I don't know if you, have you ever read that Samuel? Uh, no, no. Okay. Well, it's a really interesting book. I highly recommend it for anyone, but mm-hmm. essentially it's this, I don't know if it's like a city or a country, I think more is, is more like accurate. An attempted where, utopia. Exactly. An attempted utopia. Everyone has an assigned job, um, an assigned spouse, and it's all very dystopian. Um, and there's this one person that has to take on all of the memories because the memories are seen as too much of a burden for the general population but one person needs to hold them all. I forget what that person's called, like the memory keeper or something. Anyway, and so this person is loaded with all these memories so that everyone else is spared this suffering while they're living in this false utopia. So Rita, can you explain the point that you made where it's like, so that suffering is like being put onto someone, but it still exists, but maybe in a different way. Like you just explained Yeah, it so essentially, well. like we were talking specifically about, or I brought the... Um, part of the story specifically where um, there's a baby brought home. The dad works at the facility where babies are born. They're born mm-hmm. to um, certain mothers are the birthing people, like the yeah. birthing, not birthing people, birthing moms, you know, like they're the ones that are the birthers. And 
then the babies are given to families. And so the dad works at this facility and they'd brought a baby home who wasn't doing well to try to help it along. And, you know, this baby did not do well. And so it's ultimately killed. And Mm -hmm. no one else in the community knows these things. Only the person who holds the memories and then Mm -hmm. the people directly involved. And so it's like, this suffering is being spared, you know, all these people are being spared the suffering, you know, of having a unfit child living in their community, but their suffering is just, they're unaware of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like the, the suffering is not surface level. And I, it just described it with the abortion topic as, you mm-hmm. know, the people in the community that think abortion is okay because it's helping someone economically, they think, oh, well, look, this woman got to go to college, she got a degree, and look, she has a great job. But they don't see the internal suffering that can last a lifetime, you know? And mm-hmm. um, the thing you were talking about earlier, Cecily, that I had sent you was Janet Yellen, the Secretary mm-hmm. of Treasury, was uh, speaking on this bill coming forth. And she was basically saying the same thing, you know, economically, you know, this is a need for women. And Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina spoke up and asked her some questions, pressed her a little bit more, allowed her time to speak, and then finished with, you know, I'm really glad my poor single black mother, um, I think he said single, you know, had me, you know, gave me life and allowed me this life, you know, because he came from poverty. And here she is telling him basically that, you know, mothers would be better off if they just, you know, aborted their babies or had the opportunity to do so. Mm. That's a, that's a great point. And you know, just to add to the point about, um, you know, trying to uh, remove ourselves from suffering doesn't mean that the suffering itself will go away. It just goes into different different areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, even past the individual, when it comes to the abortion, um, of when women uh, get an abortion, there is going to be, um, I, I've done pro-life work and I've talked to many people who will initially brag about their abortion? They will they will do what some say they should do, which, which is shout their abortion. But then when when they are when they are compelled to really speak candidly about it, many of them tell me that they're ashamed of what they've done. They're ashamed that they've actually got an abortion because they know what they've done. They, every woman knows what what really happens. They they've killed their baby. Um, but beyond that, um, even if it were possible for women who get an abortion to not have um, not have internal suffering over it, the baby will suffer, That's right? right. The, the yeah. Abortion um, um, leads to suffering for that preborn baby. I will never forget the first time I saw what happens to preborn babies when they get an abortion. Um, it's one thing that we know they're dying, and that's horrific enough. But when when I first my eyes first saw what what happens to babies when their skulls are crushed. Uh, I'm not trying to, um, you know, in many ways, I, I want people who are listening to really understand what happens in an abortion. It's not this peaceful. I read earlier today that abortion is the safest procedure. And, um, mm. you know, and, I read and, that same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not at all. Not at all. It is 100 percent unsafe. It always leads to a killing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when you see the images, skulls are crushed, uh, limbs are torn apart. It, it is it is horrific. And these innocent, vulnerable, preborn babies are the ones who are suffering um, because some people think that it's better for them to suffer instead of themselves. Yeah. And I guess like 
you know, abortion is such a hard topic to talk about because of the fact that people think if you're against abortion, well, then you must be against the mother. But I think the truth is that most of us that are anti-abortion, we're actually extremely pro-mother. Like, I'm speaking for myself, but I assume that you guys probably feel the same. My heart breaks for these mothers who have been um, manipulated, essentially, to believe that what they're doing is the right thing, is the best thing. Like, I, I think there's probably very few women that go into this thinking of the fact that, you know, they're taking another life, essentially. And so I guess the question for a lot of people or the thing that makes it okay for a lot of people to embrace abortion is the thought of like, well, this child, or I shouldn't even say this child because they wouldn't be thinking that, but this preborn baby is not actually a baby yet. This is not a human. And I guess that's just the question of like, when does life begin? Like, I actually just think of, you know, even children, like I have three kids, ages 10, eight, and six, none of them are the same size as me you know, but that doesn't mean that they're any less human. They're just smaller. They're still growing. Right. And I feel like from the moment conception happens, that's, that's a small, tiny human. They just haven't grown to their full capacity yet, but that doesn't make them any less human. And, you know, the Bible tells us in Genesis one, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So it's like this beautiful picture that every single soul, whether that soul still lives inside a mom or whether that soul is living outside on its own, that is a person made in the image of God. And it's a really beautiful thing, but it's also a really sobering thing. And, you know, these moms as well, they're also made in the image of God. And that's just what's so heartbreaking is that we live in this, this world and this culture that's convinced them that evil is good and that good is evil. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I think, um, there are likely, I mean, abortion, um, unfortunately, uh, one in four women in America and Canada will get an abortion in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that I hope that maybe sometime from now I won't be able to say that anymore where I can mm-hmm. say no, it's no longer one in four. Uh, nevertheless, very likely uh, women who are listening to this have had an abortion before. And um, I, I I know people, uh, many women, I said before, mm-hmm. who've had an abortion and um, it is such a hard topic for them because they they know um, they know what's happened. They know um, that um, abortion does take a life. Um, it's something that for so many women they feel so guilty about it. But I can I can say that as I said earlier, um, I had uh, I was raised in the church um, and I heard the gospel uh, that I heard many times before, and I heard that Christ died for sinners. Well, mm-hmm. I know who can say that's me they can say that's me they can say that i got an abortion i committed a sin uh but god has uh, god in christ died for sinners and that he rose again uh you know so we can mourn a death we can mourn um we can mourn that um some of us have killed our children but we can also rejoice that god crushed his own son um for our sake and that and that christ resurrected Three days later, he ascended into heaven, and that he is able to forgive 
He is, he is, he's our savior. He forgives and he saves people. He says, I did not come for the righteous, but he came for sinners. I did not come for those who are healthy. He came for those who are sick. So if you're listening to this and um, you know, of course, you had an abortion and that you're repentant over it, please go to him, ask for his forgiveness, and he's more than willing to forgive you of your sin. Yeah, amen. And, you know, I've actually heard the argument from people before, like, well, you know, God killed his own son. So what? why is that any different than what I have done? But, you know, it it is so different because Jesus also went of his own volition. I mean, he went to do the will of the Father, but he still went, you know, like he did it on his own, but also by the will of the Father, you know, and mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he did rise to new life. Like there's this this huge difference in the fact that this is a deity. This is God himself choosing to step to earth to to take care of our sin. And it doesn't matter what the sin was. Any any sin separates, whether it's a white lie or if it's killing your own child. Like, But the blood of Jesus covers all of that. And that's such an amazing thing. Amen. I think that what you brought up, Samuel, is so important because this this is a hard topic. And like you said, all of us know someone, you know, whether we know it or not, we know mm-hmm. someone who has, you know, made this choice. And it can be such a divisive topic, but it doesn't have to be. You know, mm-hmm. we need to blanket all these conversations in love. And I think that that's what's missing. And I think it's on purpose that these topics are put out there when they are, how they are. And then we all just flock and talk about it. But we all need to remember that the tactic of our governments shared, Canada and United States, they try to divide us constantly. And they put these topics out there and then they put up the fences and wait for people to riot. And really, we just need to be constantly you know, making sure we're coming at these topics from a aspect of love, you know? Yeah, I um, I completely agree that, you know, I we, we live in a very divisive, um, you know, culture where, um, you know, even when you're when you're speaking the truth for, for the sake of unity, uh, people are mm-hmm. so angry uh, that they don't want the truth because, in many ways, they've been manip- manipulated by politicians and media and other uh, influencers into um, pushing more division and pushing more anger and more rage. And it's not leading to any good. It's not helping anybody. Yeah, for sure. And it's just it's all deception and division. And we just need to I mean, we need conversations. We need to have these conversations. I'm constantly having, you know, it's not like I'm combating truth telling or, you know, Mm -hmm. having these hard conversations. Absolutely. We need to be doing this, but we just need to make sure like, I don't know, I guess if you've been on social media this week, a lot of these, um, I don't want to say, I don't know, but a lot of people are coming at things from an aspect of just like calling people murderers and, you know, kind of yelling at people if, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And, we can call a spade a spade, but we can do it in a way that we're still loving the other person. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, as, as you said, there's, you know, there is one way. So, you know, as we will know, abortion does murder children. Um, mm-hmm. there's one way to talk about it in a sincere way out of compassion for the babies and also out of a desire to bring truth and, and, um, and repentance 
and knowledge to the mothers and to the um, people who disagree with us. And then there's another way where you're yelling at them and you're insulting them. And that it's not really because you're passionate about uh, the preborn babies. You say you're passionate about yourself and that we love ourselves more than, more than the others. And then we are, we are being more, um, just be promoting our own thinking more than just uh, God's word. Uh, where again, as you said, God, you know, Christ, um, you know, did not mince words on on injustice and things like that or, or sin. But yeah, there's a way to talk about sin in a frank way. Mm-hmm. I, as I always say, being candid and being kind. It, those mm-hmm. two things do not go against each other. You can both be candid because we need it more than in our culture. But yeah, we also definitely need more kindness in our culture as well. So we can do both. Yeah. Yeah, I think that how you put it, you know, loving ourselves more and that's what that's what I'm seeing. I guess that's the part that is repelling me the most right now is you can tell when someone is wanting to talk about a hot topic, you know, to actually change minds or change hearts. Um, and you can tell when someone's doing it to just promote self and to get a rise out of people and get shares and likes and all of that to kind pull, of thing. Further you know? polarize and yes, to make one side yes. seem better than the other. Yeah. It's yeah. really, really, really yeah. a hard thing to watch, really. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I guess maybe we can move on a little bit to just all of these things we're living through abortion, CRT, you know, the COVID times, all of this is an opportunity. Cecily and I have talked about this several times on the podcast. And sometimes when I talk about this, people are like, uh, what do you mean? Like all this stuff is awful and I don't want to live through it. But all of these things are opportunity for conversation. They're opportunity for us to grow. And there's opportunity to grow our faith and great opportunity for the church. Um, Cecily and I did an episode, I can't remember what it was called, but we talked about, um, countries where there is greater oppression and it is hard to speak um, your faith, where that's frowned upon. That seems to be where Christianity is growing the most. And so I feel like in America and Canada, even though we're technically Christian nations, there is opportunity in these times to grow the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I've, you know, I I can say that um, you know, during the lockdowns and and the way things are going in in Canada uh, or were going for a while, I I saw I got a lot of messages from Canadians who were conservatives but were not believers, telling me that man, um, they 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 now want to go to church. Um, they 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 because this you know they they saw their world uh, falling apart. And they, they realized that they didn't know where to, they didn't have a place to go. And then they knew that, but then the, the, the so-called conservative Christians like myself would be, uh, we, we were not hopeless when they were, because for many of us, the government is our idol. We hope in the government. And they realized that there are people like myself who were not hoping in the government at all. And it made them want to uh, ask people like myself or others questions so they could figure out, okay, um, what church can they go to so they can find hope as well? And some of them have become genuine believers. But I mentioned that because everything you're saying here is absolutely true. It's a uh, when there when these things happen, when there's growing um, oppression against Christians, 
it is an absolutely an opportunity for us to share our gospel more because for many of us who are hoping in God, but yet are tempted to trust in chariots and trust in presidents or prime ministers, mm-hmm. we learn very quickly that no, our only hope is in Christ. And mm-hmm. that tempts us to be, that, not tempts us, but it makes us more the, all the more willing to be praying more, to be um, to be relying on God more. I've, I've been saying uh, to my wife, not that I'm suffering or being oppressed in marriage at all, but when I got married uh, three weeks ago, immediately I started praying more. And I think it's because I realized how helpless I was in that man. I am so selfish and I need to be relying on God more so that I can love my my uh, my wife more. And I use that example because when we start to realize how helpless we are um, when we are being oppressed or there's at least increasing oppression against us, it makes us realize that we really have nothing else to trust in except for Christ himself. Oh, that's Absolutely. so true. And Samuel, you're just newly married and but the longer you're married and if you guys end up having a family, the m- as scary as it sounds, the more helpless you will realize that you are. <laughs> like, every day I'm like, oh God, I'm so weak. Like I I am powerless aside from you. And it makes me think of the the story in the Bible of the woman at the well with Jesus, where he says, you know, everyone who drinks of the water that he has to, uh, sorry, everyone who drinks of the water that's in the well, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that he gives will never be thirsty again. And the water that he gives will become this spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I need that water like every single day, almost in every single moment. Um, and you know, when I think of people who put their their hope in the government, it's like, okay, I'm just going to dip in the well and grab a drink. Like things are okay right now. But then before you know it, the next thing comes up and everyone flocks to the next issue and gets mad and screams and yells and thinks like, who's going to save us now from this issue? Is it going to be Pierre Poiliev or is it going to be Justin Trudeau? Like who's going to save us? But the thing is like that water that comes from that well is just going to keep going down and we're all going to get thirsty again until the next thing comes up. And it's just such a beautiful thing to know that we have this like this well in Jesus where there's water where we'll never get thirsty again. And I just feel like this is something Rita and I often talk about is like, when you know where your hope is found, you are completely grounded. And even though there's a bunch of crazy going on around you, you just have this deep and sincere hope knowing that you aren't the one in power, but God is. Amen. There is something, um, how do we know how to describe it? A, you know, when the Apostle Paul says, a man who, in the midst of his suffering, said that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Mm-hmm. Well, if you know, to live is Christ means that your very life, every single thing about your life is completely bound to Christ. That you, that he is the, the reason why you're still breathing. That you really know there is nothing else as important as... Mm-hmm. Uh, submitting to the authority of Christ and the worship of Christ and the worship of Christ in your life. Well, that's why then he can say then to die is is um, is gain. No one can say that. Death is the most. Everyone is afraid of death, except for Christians, because we know, as John MacArthur said, that our best life is after we die. That this is our worst life. So if you then recognize that 
you you know that the president, the prime minister, your job, your wife, your 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 husband, your children, your everything in this world, as great as some of them are, absolutely, that they are not your hope. Then you can say no matter what happens, even death, because really, what's worse than death when it comes to our our, our earthly mind, our, our um, just you know general physical life? Well, that's the worst thing, and yet. If your hope is in Christ, it is the best thing. So that's why we should not be placing our hope in anything, not in Republicans, not in, not in the conservatives, not in critical race theorists losing, not in uh, the anti-critical race theorists winning, not in even the pro-life movement, not in any of that stuff. Because as passionate as I am about these things, I'm passionate about it because to live is Christ, but it's not but, but, you know, because God calls us to care about justice. So I want preborn babies to have mm-hmm. justice. I, I don't want white people to be discriminated against. I want justice because I love Christ. But, but my hope is not in justice. It's in Christ. So that when I die, I can say that, of course, it is gain because now I am with him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen Thank you for saying all that so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Yes. Just, you know, people message, you know, when you when you talk about these subjects, you know, that are the subjects that are hot button topics, often people get tired and people will message and, you know, just be like, this exhausts me. Like, I I just I feel overwhelmed. I feel anxious and I just don't feel that way. I just feel normal. And it is because my hope is in Christ. It is because of eternal perspective. That is the only way to live in this world and not feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I can say that as happy as I am about the possible, uh, about the leak that the Supreme Court might overturn Roe v. Wade, as happy mm-hmm. as I am about it, I am not sleeping any differently. I'm still mm-hmm. sleeping about as well as I was before that. Now, again, anybody that knows me knows that I'm very passionate about the abortion issue. I have wept. Um, I have wept a lot over this issue. I've spoken to people who've told me. Uh, I spoke. I, I I can't even begin to share the stories. I've been able to change minds on abortion. I'm very passionate about this thing. But I know that the most important thing is this will this might offend many people who would agree with me. The most important thing, the thing I care about most, is not that millions of preborn babies are dying. What's most important to me is that Christ died for my sin and for the sins of many of my brothers and sisters in Christ, and that uh, he rose again, and that one day he will return. That's what my hope is in. Mm -hmm. Again, while I wait for him, he's called me to serve him. And, and that includes speaking out against critical race theory and abortion and many other injustices. That's absolutely very important to me. But the most important thing is absolutely the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And frankly, there are many people out there. I, I, it's, it, it concerns me sometimes when, look, here's the thing. We have two major problems, I think, in our culture when it comes to Christians. A lot of Christians don't care enough about critical race theory or abortion. Mm-hmm. A lot of us don't. Mm-hmm. And it's a really big problem. So I don't want to dismiss that. But we have another big problem where a lot of people are going to church. They're going to church and they are passionate about their hatred for the Democrats. They mm-hmm. love the Republicans. They hate abortion. They hate critical race theory, but they don't hate their sin. 
they hate Christ. You can hate yeah. Christ. You can hate Christ and still hate abortion and critical race theory. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want anybody that would ever hopefully come across any of my stuff to still think that they can they can um, hate abortion, hate critical race theory, but hate Christ too. Because frankly, there are many pro-life activists in hell. There are many people who are who are anti-critical race theorists who are in hell. It does not profit anybody. If you gain the whole world, if you gain the whole, all of um, the pro-life bills, all the anti-critical race theories, uh, theory bills, and yet your soul will be in hell for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is that you would love Christ and that you would hate sin. You know what? That's so interesting, the way you framed that, you know, to like gain the whole world, but to lose your soul. So often I will think of that as like, yeah, gaining the whole world looks like um, having all the success and comfort and pleasure that I want in mm -hmm. life. But yeah, you kind of framed it as like um, gaining the whole world could mean actually turning the whole world to our ideals, our worldview, our moral law. However, you can still lose your soul in the pursuit of all of those good things if that becomes an idol. So that was really well said. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's increasingly, you know, I... You know, I, I always want to try to remind myself that more than anything, I am not a, I am not a, um, an activist for a cause. I'm an ambassador of Christ. Um, that is uh, what I want to remember most. Uh, again, I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to dismiss just how important these issues are because God is a God of justice. God hates abortion. God has called the church to be um, uh, radically addressing the issue of abortion, to be helping moms to be um, against critical race theory, to be against Marxism, to be against all these things. I speak on these things because a lot of people are not. A lot of people are afraid of being canceled by their friends or family if they address critical race theory or abortion. So we need more people speaking out against it. Mm -hmm. But more than anything, uh, we need people to believe the gospel above all. That's right. And I feel like when your heart is actually being transformed by the gospel and by the Holy Spirit, you can't help but speak to these things in a way that is sensitive yet still filled with truth. Mm -hmm. So yes. you, your blog, I think this is a good time to kind of transition to this. You had titled it Slow to Write. And I remember when, I don't even know who stumbled upon you first years ago, Rita or I, but we were talking about this probably even a couple of years ago, the name of your blog, Slow to Write. And then as we were considering starting a podcast, we were like, you know what, like, we'd rather be slow to speak, <laughs> you know, like, maybe we're not blogging as much as you do, but we do speak a lot. And so, you know, there's this desire that comes from inside of us that we really want to be slow to speak, um, not necessarily being the first ones to touch on an issue in culture, because, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in waiting. And is that kind of like where your inspiration for that name came from? Like, I know it came from that Bible passage, but maybe tell us a little bit about that. And like, do you find it difficult sharing your words with a world that's so quick to speak? Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, I, I, was, I was working real hard to try to find a, a good, um, you know, blog title that would, or blog name that would um, speak to something that I care about. And I can't think of anything. And um, I've always liked the the um, you know it's James one nineteen that every let everyone be um, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And at the time when I I read, so I've always cared about that, but it wasn't really till 
uh, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, were so prominent in um, 2015. Uh, before the George Floyd issue, Black Lives Matter, of course, was prominent years before that, although they got much bigger, obviously, two years ago with George Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people that I knew were being very quick to uh, anger and quick to come up with their hot takes on what they thought uh, was happening with police shootings. And that really concerned me because um, I remember that text very well because I have I have or had a history of speaking way too quickly, both mm -hmm. in terms of mindset and even as maybe, maybe uh, many of your guests might know already, mm -hmm. even just speaking fast in general. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Um, then I thought to myself, well, I really want to be slow to speak on these issues. I want to study. I want to read. I want to be very well informed so that I can bless um, God's people uh, with the truth and not just with my opinions, uh, especially opinions that could be, um, you know, could be sinful because we will all give an account for every tweet, for every podcast episode, uh, for every blog, for every article, for everything, every thought and, and, and deed and and word, we will give an account to God. And uh, knowing that, I really want to obey God's word in James 119 and be uh, slow to speak. Now, unfortunately, I'm not always slow to speak still. I'm a sinner, but <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm definitely striving for that. Yeah. Um, Rita had written written down here. She had sent me this. So that last question was actually hers as well. I'm not trying to take credit for that. It was a good question. <laughs> but she had also written, people have such short attention spans and it's almost as if there's an addiction to the fast paced, sensational surface level news cycle. So I'm curious for you, um, you know, being in a form of the media, essentially with having a blog and like a social media presence, do you feel that pressure to like you know, people really, they are addicted to fast pace and they're addicted to like the issue of the moment. This is something Rita and I have also noticed with the podcast. Wouldn't you say, Rita, like people want to hear about a specific issue at a specific time and they want to hear about and, it quickly. And it's done. And then they don't, then they don't care yeah. to think about it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's very interesting. Like, have you noticed that same pressure? And like, I know you said you're sometimes still not slow to speak or slow to write because you're a sinful person just like the rest of us. Um, but do you find that pressure plays into it sometimes? Absolutely. Um, the fastest person to say something on social media or the first person to say something on social media will tend to get more likes than the other person. Yep. And yeah. uh, as much as I like to think that doesn't have a big influence on me, I think there are times when um, I it's pretty obvious that it does. Um, you know, for the most part, I so I tend to write out my social media posts days before I actually share them for the most part. Um, so that's very helpful. Uh, mm -hmm. I do that because then I can be more organized and always have something to say. So mm -hmm. I actually sometimes will often just spend an hour thinking of tweets to share. Um, right. Just things that I'm thinking about, things that I care about, I'll just share it. So that's been very helpful. And yet mm -hmm. there are times where um, because there's a big topic going on and everyone is commenting on it. I want to add my two cents in as well too. Um, so that I can just kind of hopefully maybe in my mind get enough traffic or have my name out there still, instead of truly caring about, um, you know, the issue. Uh, I'm more speaking on it because I just want to be included maybe in that little social media club. Um, but there's absolutely pressure, but even, even in a different way too. See, one of the fascinating things, especially about, this is true for all social media, but especially uh, Twitter uh, or Instagram. 
you know, as a blogger, it's there are very few. Uh, I don't mean this to be in an arrogant manner whatsoever, uh, but there are very few bloggers like me out there now. What I mean by that is um, 10, 15 years ago, there were many bloggers like me out there. But now a lot of, well, blogs in general are a, like almost now like an ancient thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, now uh, I'm competing with podcasts like yourself now. Podcasts are very popular. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, you have, you know, you have vlogging, you have YouTube, you have all these things uh, that people love. And rightly so, I love these things myself. But when it comes to social media and blogging, it's very difficult because now um, people want just a blog in a form of a social media post. And mm -hmm. I've seen it myself where I will say something on social media. And because it's just straight to the point, it would do a lot better than a you know, carefully written 800 page, sorry, 800 uh, uh, words article on that very same issue, which to me is better because then you have much more context and everything else. But right. people just right now, because of our social media climate, do not want to take three minutes out of their time to go read an article. They rather, yes. and honestly, I said it myself too, I, which is which is pretty bad because I'm a blogger and yet oftentimes I just want someone to give me a summary. Um right. You know, and that's terrible. It's not good for us because then it's tempting us to become more and more on being um, instead of being quick to listen and slow to speak. It's making us become more, um, you know, quick to speak and slow to read or slow to listen. So, yeah, I yeah. actually think like you had said um, that people don't want to read those longer form things. But I think also in addition to that, a lot of the time, perhaps even more of it people can't like their brains are so wired for these quick bite-sized colorful vivid things that when they look at words on a page or words on a screen that are more than just you know a few characters it's overwhelming to the point that they might think that they don't want to read it but i think it's actually more of an issue of i can't focus on that mm. like i really truly believe mm -hmm. people are losing the ability to focus um and I say that confidently because I feel like I'm losing the ability to focus and I'm a huge reader still, but I feel like the more that you're exposed to media from a screen, the more difficult it is for your brain to actually sit and focus on something that's a little longer than a social media post. Absolutely. You know, even with podcasts, I've been thinking a lot about podcasts. Um, and actually, I actually want to start a podcast myself um, mm. uh, eventually. And I've been thinking a lot about podcasting for that reason. And it's done on me that one of the reasons why I think podcasts have become so popular now is for good. I mean, many of them are for good reasons, but in some ways, and I see it in myself too, I think a lot of us like podcasts, again, for good reasons, but mm -hmm. it's also somewhat bad in that I can do things while I'm listening to podcasts. Mm -hmm. right? And that's great. The problem is then we're not able to focus a lot mm -hmm. of times on it. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and a lot of it is, which is what I think what you're addressing too is, we are increasingly moving away from careful thinking, from from being able to truly yes. process things well, so mm -hmm. that we can speak to things in a careful manner as well. That's the whole point about being quick to listen. By being quick to listen, you're carefully considering all all sides, all, all data, all opinions, and then you're able to then carefully relay 
um, those things to others or to carefully share the truth or your opinions on that. And, um, you know, I, you know, so because of that, while I plan to do a podcast eventually, and while I like being on social, not that podcasting is wrong whatsoever, I think it's a great thing, <laughs> obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, while I, I still love social media for many things, because there are times where it's just good to just have a short post, of course. Um, and yet I always want to continue blogging, uh, even as it becomes less and less common for people to read it, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. Not that people aren't, you know, reading blogs at all. Of course they are. I just meant that there's just not that many uh, blogs or bloggers anymore compared to podcasters and things like that or social media influencers. Um, I can I still want to keep blogging because of the fact that it is um, increasingly uh, one of the very few ways that people now it's, it's actually kind of funny because 20 years ago, the idea was, well, blogging was the social media, right? That people right. reading books were reading blogs. And now we have an even shorter attention span. So I now I wonder where five, 10 years from now, what mm -hmm. will be what will be the new thing where now social media, as we know it now, right. will become more, you know, archaic and ancient. That's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I just want to say the beginning, the first question I asked you, that was just, you know, me showing people what not to do when they're not focused and can't carefully oh think goodness. and carefully speak. <laughs> that was a great question. Oh, no. Well, I just couldn't get my thoughts out. I was not focused. So there you go. But no, I hope you keep writing long form because I really do enjoy reading those. I may not get to all of them, but I do enjoy reading that. And it's just been a constant frustration of mine um, when people are in the more conservative or liberty mindset um, social media platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all I'm seeing anymore is just repost, repost, repost the same headline exactly. over and over or the yeah. same viral video. And there is no thought behind it. Like these people tell you that, you know, they have a problem with the way things are moving in the world because people aren't thinking mm -hmm. deeply and they don't understand things going on, but then they don't even try to help people understand them. Like they just repost this stuff without any careful thought behind it or interesting conversation. And then we're feeding it and it's frustrating to me. So I do hope you keep writing long form and um, speaking outside of just small sound bites because that's really important. Yeah, and I'm very grateful for that. And I think one of the reasons why, because I've, I've thought about that myself too, one of the reasons why a lot of conservatives or a lot of people in general, but since we care most about our side, um, one of the reasons why they keep releasing a lot of these sound bites instead of uh, more careful uh, words or longer uh, words on it is because it takes, it's, the best, the easiest traffic to get on social media. Absolutely. Speak to your own crowds, just rile people up. It's Absolutely. Popular. Yeah, it's not that popular to uh, be careful and trying to win others to your side. Um, yeah. Now, of course, of course, there are times where you just need to speak the truth candidly, like, like I said. But uh, if the goal of abortion is to change minds on abortion, we can do both. You can you can rally people up by getting them more passionate about abortion uh, or more passionate about being pro-life. And then also uh, take a lot of time to try to do apologetics, to try to win people towards the side of liberty mm -hmm. and justice and or conservatism. Yeah. 
Yeah, I absolutely get why people do it. It's just, I guess it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you're you're trying to help people understand and then people come to you and they're like, but people are just tired. I'm like, well, you're tired because you're watching all these sound bites all the time. Like imagine if you took the hour a day you spent watching set the sound bite, the same one over and over and just like thought about something deeply for that hour instead, your mind would not be so exhausted and you would feel fulfilled because you actually got something out of what you were doing. Yeah, completely agree. So, yeah. And I think a lot of it also, and I'll, I'll, I won't keep beating, beating this dead horse, but it's just, I think a lot of people share headlines and share viral videos in a sense of like, you know, showing people, this is my opinion, this is my perspective, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, haven't really thought it through. So in a way it's like putting on an identity as well, that when it gets down to the roots of it, maybe Mm -hmm. it's not your identity, but it looks good on someone else. So you're trying it on as well. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's some of that going on as well with this. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like with trying to grow a podcast too, like Rita and I have been doing this for just over a year now and you know, this year is kind of our focus is like, yeah, let, let's grow it. You know, we're putting time into this. This is very much feels like a job, a job that we love, but it feels like a job. So let's just like lean in and grow it. But at the same time, just knowing like our value system is not going to allow us to be the ones that are quick to speak, you know, and yeah. it's something that we have to hold ourselves accountable to. And Thankfully, we don't really have a desire to compete in the sense of like, oh, we got to be the first or we got to talk about this issue that everyone's talking about. Um, But it's hard. Yeah. When you're trying to grow in this space where it's very people dependent on what are people going to pay attention to. So I think it's a very refining thing. Like if you're in the media space in some sense, whether you're a blogger, podcaster, whatever it may be, um, it's a refining thing to just not go the way of the world. Absolutely. Um, that's something that, uh, you know, doing, uh, uh, you know, as you said, podcast work, blogging, or even social media, where that will always be a temptation because, um, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, naturally, you know, this is, you know, any any kind of project, you want as many people to, uh, you know, to be aware of it as possible. And um, so, you know, one, one of the things that I do is I have a I have a list of topics that I want to write about um, for, the, for the whole year, things that I'm passionate about uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I try to do is, um, you know, when there is something as obviously as big as the abortion issue, for example, uh, that will demand my attention um, mm-hmm. because I care about it. And I, I usually try to write about things that I care about, hoping that people, the people out there like me who may want to read it too. Um, but then there, there are things where I just know that maybe the average person might not care as much about but I will write about it anyway uh, because I care about it. Um, and hopefully that balance uh, is helpful. And that's what I try to do because, of course, like, you know, um, any kind of project, you know, you, you want it to be real. You want it to be you. You want you don't want to be influenced by too many external forces. And, yeah, at the same time, like any kind of um, project, you also want to reach as many people as possible. So you have to try and keep um, – Keep it, you know, keep it uh, in, in, in as a passion project while also trying to figure out, okay, what is happening in the culture and how can I attract the culture to care about what I'm passionate about? And oftentimes using the relevant, topics, so the relevant uh, issues at the time can pull someone in 
so then hopefully they can stay for the rest of what you have to say. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Samuel, thank you so much for coming on with us. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add here at the end other than where people can find you. If so, you can do so now. But um, just let people know at least where they can find you on social media. And then obviously we already covered your blog, slowtowrite.com. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, uh, ladies, for having me on. I really am grateful. I've enjoyed it. I can't believe it's been an hour, an hour already. Um, <laughs> I was kind of sad that it's actually, it's actually ending because I've really enjoyed it with you. Um, yeah, it's been but, a great yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah. People can find me though on um, on um, all social media platforms. Uh, the, now that I've uh, we've kind of I've kind of dispersed from social media now, and now I'm going to promote myself on social media. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, you get it. <laughs> but yeah, they can find me at Slow to Write um, on social media. They can find me at slowtowrite.com, the blog, and they can. Um, also find me on uh, Patreon or PayPal if they want to support me as well, too. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. what I would say. That's great. Thank you so much, Samuel. Thank you so much. You guys, that was our interview with Samuel Say. I loved having that conversation. Like, this was the first time I'd spoken to him but I feel like I've known him a while. <laughs> so I just love it when you can have conversations with people where, where they are just open and they are themselves and um, you can just get to know them and get to know their heart. So I'm super appreciative to him for coming on and talking through some of these really complicated issues, CRT, abortion, and um, just talking about them so well. So hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Um, we do have on the boom clap community, our discussion of the hiding place coming up this week. So if you're in the community, I'm really excited to see what you guys thought of that book, to hear your thoughts on it. If you aren't sure what the boom clap community is, you can go ahead and check it out at the boomclapcommunity.com. It's one way that you guys can support us and the podcast. And if you want to find us outside the podcast, you can find me, Cecily on Instagram at cecily.dickey or on my website, thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at RitaRogersCo.com or RitaRogersCo on Instagram. Thanks for listening. 